You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. The Center of Disease Control has said that sleep deprivation is now a public health crisis in America, with just 30% of adults getting less than the recommended seven hours of sleep each night. And can't really see it on this if you actually uh, had a mouse and you could hover over Arkansas. What you would see is we're not helping the cause at all. In fact, out of all 50 states, Arkansas is the seventh worst when it comes to sleep quality. We only have around 40% or only, uh, I'm sorry, 40% of our adults are getting less than seven hours of sleep a night. And this is, in fact, a public health crisis, um, as some of us yawn this morning, right? Like, like it's a problem because what we know is that a lack of sleep not only affects us mentally and emotionally, it does that, it leads to things like anxiety and depression, but it also has uh, major consequences on our physical health as well. It leads to things such as heart disease, strokes, dementia, diabetes, obesity, cancer, advanced aging, sickness, and even death. This is why doctors and psychiatrists alike across the country right now are urging adults, please get more sleep. Here is a, uh, this is a, an excerpt from a medical journal I read earlier this week. It doesn't sound as, a, it wasn't a very long article, so don't be that impressed. But it's from the Harvard Medical School Division of Sleep Medicine. <clears throat> and here's what they said. Despite decades of research and many discoveries about the other aspects of sleep, the question of why we sleep It's been difficult to answer. Although we have developed many theories that remain unproven, science has made tremendous strides in discovering what happens during sleep. We still don't know why we sleep, but one thing is clear. Sleep is an essential component to life. It's like eating, drinking, and even breathing. So the best and brightest minds are like, we don't really know why humans have to sleep. We just know it's essential to life. And here's the thing, though this might be a mystery to the medical world, it does not have to be a mystery to us on why we sleep. Uh, In fact, Solomon, who is considered to be one of the wisest men or wisest people in all the library of Scripture, here's what he says about sleep. This is Psalm 127, verse 2. I'll put it on the screen for you. He says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. And then look at this next line. For he grants or he gives sleep to those whom he loves. And so if someone asks you the question, why do we sleep? What does the Bible say? Because God is love. And out of an overflow of his love, he gives us the gift of sleep. Which means, and please hear this, despite what you have been told, sleep is not random. Sleep is relational. Sleep is, quote, a gift that God grants to those whom he loves. And it is a gift that if we will learn to receive it as God intends to give it, it can, more than really anything else, transform your life, not just emotionally and physically and mentally, but also spiritually. And that's what we see in our text today. If you look back with me in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, just to kind of set the context for you in case you're new to the Bible, uh, this is a story about Elijah. Elijah was actually a uh, Hebrew prophet in the 9th century B.C. during a time when Israel was being divided by civil war. 
He was called to, the, uh, to be a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, which at this time was being ruled by a really insecure king by the name of Ahab, who was basically a puppet uh, to his sociopathic uh, uh, wife, Jezebel, who also happened to be a Canaanite Baal worshiper. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, here's what you need to know. Elijah is coming off the highlight of his career. I mean, in just the chapter right before this, Elijah had called and prayed and asked God to bring about a three-year drought, and God brought about a three-year drought. And then at the end of those three years, he issues a challenge to King Ahab and all of the 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, look, I want to issue a challenge to you. I want to face off against you at the top of Mount Carmel, which is actually considered Baal's mountain. And so think about this. Not a very smart move on Elijah's part. He's like, I want to fight you. I want to kind of face off against you on Baal's, on your God's home turf. Uh, now, if you're a sports fan, uh, maybe you watched the uh, Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs game last night. Congratulations, Chris. Um, Miami didn't stand a chance. They're a warm culture people in Miami, and they were playing in Kansas City in negative two degrees on Kansas City's turf, and they got destroyed, right? Like like when you say, I'm going to play you on your turf, you've just stacked the odds against you. But, but Elijah knows what he's doing. So he travels to Mount Carmel. It's a dramatic story. Elijah says to all these prophets and their king, hey, you build an altar. Cry out to your God to consume the altar with fire. And if he does it, we'll just say your God is the one true God. But then he says, after that, I will build an altar and I'll pray for God to, to, to light it on fire. And if he does, my God is the one true God. And so as the story goes, you know, it's a, it's a silly story, right? The prophets of Baal go wild. They go crazy. They're yelling and hollering. At one point, they even start cutting themselves, like doing whatever they can to bring the fire of their God, Baal. Elijah's sitting there smack talking. I'm like, hey, maybe your God's sleeping or he might be using the bathroom. Just yell a little bit louder. They're like, you got it. They start yelling. It's, it's, it's crazy, but nothing happens. And so then Elijah calmly steps up to the altar and he actually takes this water, which is a precious commodity in the middle of a drought. He says, let's pour all that water out on this altar. And then he just calmly cries out to God and says, bring the fire. The altar is consumed by the fire. The prophets of Baal are then killed. Elijah, after it all, calls for God to end the drought that had been taking place for three years, and God actually does it. It's a crazy story. Here's the thing. You would think if you had just witnessed something like that, if you had just watched God answer your prayers in that way and perform a miracle like that, you would never doubt God again, right? I mean, how many of us would be like, if that happened to me, I would have like the, the, like the most robust faith of all time. And yet what we see is actually that's not at all what happens here. We come to 1 Kings 19. Elijah, again, is, is coming off the highlight of his ministry career. And we read the following. Look with me in verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And so, verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Notice how in just four short lines, the narrative has now completely changed. We've gone from victory... To defeat. This brave prophet is now a cowering refugee, right? One moment Elijah is on a spiritual high, and now he's in spiritual despair. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but I sure have. 
uh, as a pastor, I can relate to Elijah. There are times in ministry where I'm like, I think I'm actually making a difference. Like, like good things are happening. People are being baptized. Marriages are being restored. Like, like it seems that God is moving in a mighty way, and then something happens. And a lot of times it's something as simple as, as a text or a phone call or a conversation, and immediately I'm like, oh, the ship is sinking. Like everything is going wrong. And like Elijah, I can find myself consumed with fear. And when you're consumed with fear, right, you can begin to run scared, work harder, try harder, do more, right, run, run. Right? Rather than resting in the presence of God, I can begin to let fear drive me to the point of exhaustion. Like That's where Elijah is. This is a man who at this moment has been driven in fear down from the mountaintop miracle and into a wilderness of despair. And if this can happen to Elijah, guys, it can happen to you. And it can happen to me. Elijah was a man of God. There's nobody in this room who had a prayer life like Elijah. There's none of us in here who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit like Elijah. He saw a mighty move of God. He had his prayers answered in magnificent and miraculous ways. And listen, because a miracle is not enough to sustain your faith. Please hear that. You think if I had a miracle, I've never done A miracle is not enough to sustain your faith. And that's what we see right here with Elijah. After receiving just a little bit of bad news, Elijah begins to run for his life. <clears throat> Rather than trusting God as his provider and his protector, he begins to run scared. If you think of the story in verse 4, it says, While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to a broom bush. You've all been there, right, by a broom bush? And he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. And so think about this, right? Here's Elijah, a man who now is physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually absolutely depleted. So much so that he comes to this little broom bush. And think about this. The only prayer he prays is actually a suicide note. And what's crazy to me is why is he even there? He's running because he didn't want to die. And now he's so emotionally, spiritually tired. He says, no, 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 no. Like, actually, I want to die. I want you to take my life. God, kill me. And then after that, what does he do? Again, think about this. This is a prophet. He doesn't open up his Bible and say, I guess I should try to read my Bible. He doesn't continue praying through the night, but instead he just decides to take a nap. He just goes to sleep. And then look what happens next, verse 5. <clears throat> All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up. And notice the angel doesn't rebuke him. He just looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. So notice again, the angel's not mad at Elijah for falling asleep. He's not like, hey, 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 what are you doing? You're a prophet of God. Act like it. Get busy. Read your Bible. Memorize a verse. Pray. Preach. How about you repent, Elijah? You've been running away from God. Why don't you turn back and go the other way? There's none of that. None of that at all. Instead, he says, hey, hey, eat some breakfast. Hey, here's some food that God has miraculously provided for you. And then in verse 7, it says, the angel of the Lord came back again because Elijah had fallen back asleep. And he says a second time, he touched him, hey, get up, eat, for the journey is to much for you. What journey is the angel talking about? Well, essentially, he's talking about Elijah's journey with God. 
He's talking about a journey that Elijah was about to take to, quote, the mountain of God, where God was about to speak to Elijah in a way that was so clear and compelling that it would transform the rest of his life. And according to this angel, don't miss this, guys. According to this angel, which is a messenger from God, he tells Elijah, listen, before you can go on the spiritual journey, you have to take care of your physical body. You have to get rest. You have to get nourishment in order for you to regain the energy that you're going to need to do what God is calling you to do. And so in verse 8, it says, He got up, and he ate, he drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Which, by the way, was the place, you might remember this story, where God spoke to Elijah, not in the fire, not in the earthquake, but in the still, small voice. It's incredible. You can go read it for yourself later. But here's the main point I just want you to see for our purposes today. You cannot separate your spiritual journey from your physical body. You cannot separate your spiritual journey from your physical body. Because you are an embodied person, you cannot separate your physical life from your spiritual life. The two go hand in hand. Think about this. Elijah, before he laid down to sleep, was suicidal. He was physically, emotionally, and spiritually spent. And then after a good night's sleep, after some food, after a nap, and then some more food, things began to change, right? And it was only after he took care of his physical needs... God was able to take him on this spiritual journey, a journey that would not only change Elijah, but would later change the whole nation of Israel. And the point is just this, guys, please hear me. If you want to experience more of God's presence in your life, and if you want to have the energy and the stamina for God to fulfill his purposes in your life, you need to make sleep. You need to make rest a priority in your spiritual life. Rather than viewing sleep as something that is totally separate from your life with Jesus, you need to see it as a first essential step, as a starting point in your journey with Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. Um, As Americans, when we think about a new day, what do we think of? We think of the morning. We think of when we wake up. That was not the Jewish understanding of a new day. For Jews, they did not start their day in the morning. They started their day at night. They didn't see the start of the day when you wake up, but that's the start of the day of when you go to sleep. And if you're like, where in the world do they get a crazy idea like that from? The Bible. Genesis chapter 1. When God decides to create the world, he takes chaos and creates order. And the way that the God of the universe thought that it was best to order our day is to start in the evening not in the morning. For example, just look at this phrase. I'll put it on the screen for you. This is Genesis chapter 1. We read the following. And there was evening, and then there was morning the first day. There was evening, and there was morning the second day. There was evening, then there was morning the third day. There was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. There was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. There was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Are you picking up on a pattern? God designed our days not to start When we are awake, God designed the day to start when we are asleep. Why? Because as John Piper says, and he says it better than me, God made sleep as a continual reminder to anxious souls that life works best when we simply learn to rest in Him. And that, my 
brothers, my sisters, is the point of the Christian life. John 15, I preached it last week. Remember the words of Jesus? Hey, you want to grow? You want to mature? God wants you to grow, grow and mature. Remember, God's a gardener. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to produce more fruit. How do you get there? Jesus says what? Abide, rest in my love. And you see, because God knows this is the only way forward. Because he knows this is the only way for you to become the best version of yourself, the person, the man, the woman he created you to be. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create the world in such a way, and I'm going to order the days in such a way that you actually have to start every new day by receiving the gift of sleep, which is a natural way for you to rest in the supernatural love of God. It is a physical and tangible way for you to rest in God's love in the start of a day, which again, according to Jesus, is the way and the only way that we can actually experience lives that are fruitful and fulfilling. And so with that being said, in a series where we're talking about how to spend a day with Jesus, here's your first step. Start every day with Jesus with rest. Prioritize. Receive this gift of sleep that God has given you, a gift that is from God for your good as an expression of his love. And when we choose to receive this gift, guys, what I want you to see is when you receive the gift of sleep, it not only is making you more human, it's actually, think about this, making you more like Jesus. You know, one of the most famous stories about the life of Jesus began with him sleeping in a boat in the middle of a storm. And as author Karen Pryor points out, not only does Jesus admonish us through this story to have strong faith, but as example, she says, teaches us also that we need to sleep well. What does Jesus teach us with his life? He teaches us the importance of resting in God's love. And as a result, when this happens, you become more like Jesus, which means you become more and more a non-anxious presence that is calm and peaceful even in the midst of your own storms. And guys, please hear me. This is the greatest way you can witness to the power of Jesus. Can you think in our cultural moment, like the one we are living in, of a better way to witness the power of Christ than for you to live as a well-rested, non-anxious person in a world that is constantly overextended and exhausted? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is a promise, guys, from Jesus. Jesus promises us that if we will trust in him, he will give us a rest. Spiritual, yes, but also physical, emotional, and mental. Because again, you cannot separate these things from one another. And so here's just my question before I go any further. Does your spouse know you as a person of rest? Do those closest to you say, like, you are a restful person? Or would they look at you and say, no, you're frantic, you're scattered, you're exhausted, you're depleted? And listen, I know some of you are killing it in this area. Some of you can sleep anywhere at any time. Some of you are sleeping right now in my sermon. You have the gift of sleep, clearly. Or maybe you aren't getting enough, right? Which is why it's hard to stay awake. And my guess is, like, that's probably where most people are. Most people in this room struggle with sleep. And I think a big part of that is because we have separated the physical from the spiritual. And as a result, I think this is a big reason, guys, why some of you listen to me. I think this is a big reason why some of you are stuck in your discipleship to Christ. I think the reason some of you are not growing is not because you're not working harder, but you're not resting better. 
For some of you, the reason that you don't want to spend time with Jesus is because you just don't have the energy to do it. It's hard for you to focus. It's hard to listen to a sermon for more than 35 minutes without like, oh, I'm getting tired, I'm getting worried, right? or, or sing, or, 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 or fast, or pray, or do any of these things because we just don't have the physical energy to do it. And if that's where you are, listen, no judgment for me because I'm in the boat with a lot of y'all. I mean, every personality test that I take, every single one of them says that I'm a workaholic and I'm a perfectionist. I have been a pastor of this church for now almost 12 years. Not one year have I ever used all of my vacation time. And oftentimes I'll work even on days off. I work seven days this week. I had to do a funeral yesterday. I'm about to go to an elder meeting right after the second service. We'll host our missional community tonight. Those who know me best, like you might have a lot of names for me. But lazy is not one of them. Um, and I came by this honestly. Like my grandfather, I remember one time he told my aunt, he said, you would rather be called anything in the world than to be called lazy. My grandma and grandpa both worked two jobs. My mom and dad both worked two jobs. Uh, I don't ever remember and my dad, my mom. My dad was here second service. And I didn't say this when they were here, but it's like I don't ever remember him taking the day off ever. And I think because of that, no, no, nobody ever really said anything to me about this, but, but because I grew up with such a hard-working, blue-collar family, like, I think for me, like, without realizing it, even well into my adult life, I have viewed rest and sleep not as an act of worship, but as a sign of weakness, or at best, a waste of time. And I just have to repent before you guys and, and say I'm sorry to God for that, that I have viewed his gift, not as a blessing, but as a burden. As something I've just got to do so I can get back to what really matters, which is Jared Pickney changing the world in my own power. And listen, like hard work, is hard work important? Should we work hard? Yes, we should work hard. Should we be lazy? No, we should not be lazy. I'm going to talk about the importance of work in a couple weeks, but here's what you got to realize. Before you will ever do deep and meaningful work, like not just work, like deep and meaningful work, You've got to get deep and meaningful sleep. We've got to live lives. If we're going to live lives that are fruitful and fulfilling, we must learn how to rest in the love of God. And again, guys, you're just seeing it right here in Scripture. By God's design, as a way of helping us do that, he's given us the gift of sleep. And listen, sleep is not a reward that you get at the end of the day for your work. Rather, it is a gift God gives you at the beginning of the day that is the foundation for your work. And because all of the stats tell us that we're really, really bad at this, I just want to give you really quickly some practical tips today on how to get better sleep. And every single book you read is going to basically say the same things. And so here they are. They're on the screen for you. If you walk away from this and you're like, man, I struggle to get to sleep and to stay to sleep, here are some things you can begin to do. I want to be practical. I never want to be, I've told you that before, I never want to be that preacher just like, raw, 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 and then like, figure it out, like, here it is right here. Like, I've done the hard work for you. These are the steps. Keep the same waking and sleeping schedule. If you have a very kind of erratic sleeping and waking schedule, it's going to be very hard for your body to be regulated and to fall asleep when it needs to. Practice good sleep hygiene. That's talking primarily about lights and temperature. Again, all this stuff, I'm not going to dive into all the science of it. I actually have a bunch of notes on it here. I'm not going to get into it because if you really care, you don't believe me, research it for yourself. There is an ideal sleep temperature. You need to be anywhere between 60 to 70 degrees in your house, they say. 
We set ours on 65 because it's just right in the middle. We've been doing that for years. Um, it's good to take, uh, you know, lights are, are something we know that, that decreases melatonin. And so it's good for you to make sure that you are not looking at a screen all the way, uh, you know, up until you go to sleep, which I think for a lot of us we're guilty of. We get in bed and it's like, phone. And we know, right, that is not good for us. Some of us go to sleep with the TV on. Even if you're asleep, they tell us that the light keeps you from having deep, meaningful sleep. Avoid caffeine, which Randy Rogers absolutely yelled and rebelled about in the first service. He's like, I will not do that. And Randy sent me, I told him, I said, Randy, you know, by the way, caffeine's not just coffee. It's also like chocolate. And, uh, and I said that to him because he sent me a picture last night. I don't know if he did this to anybody else. It was literally, it looked like the little Debbie truck threw up in like this compartment. And I was like, what is this? He's like, oh, that's all my sweets I put in my ottoman. And then that way, if I get a, a sweet tooth, I don't have to go to the kitchen to get my, my cupcakes. <laughs> I just like take my feet off, pull up the lid and grab them. Right. Uh, caffeine, like, man, like it, we know, right, that it blocks uh, these adenosine receptors that reduces feelings of sleepiness. Uh, get some exercise. Right. Like, like exercise is great. It helps reduce stress. It burns fat. It makes you overall a healthier person. And therefore, there's a lot of research shows that even a little bit of physical activity during the day can help you fall asleep quicker at night and then eat a healthy diet. Um, according to sleep specialist, Dr. Aris Latritis, I guess that's how you said it's MD. Uh, uh, he says this, one of the best things you can do to get a better sleep is to maintain a nutritious diet. As the old cliche goes, you are what you eat. And so I guess as your eating goes, so your sleeping goes. And listen, I know for some of you, you're that, that just went in one and out the other. You're like, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. Fine. Don't do that if you don't want to. But here's just what I want you to see again before we end today. You absolutely, again, cannot separate your physical health from your spiritual health. Arkansans, my Arkansan brothers and sisters, my hard workers, you cannot separate your physical health from your spiritual health. That is an antichrist reality. That's a Gnostic. Go, go study Gnosticism. That's where that came from, that the physical doesn't matter. No, they go hand and hand. Anthony Bourdain, uh, who was an author, chef, and the host of the world-renowned uh, show, No Reservations, before he took his own life, Back in 2018, he wrote the following in his memoir, Kitchen Confidential. He said this, Your body is not a temple. It is an amusement park, so enjoy the ride. Is that true? Well, it sounds cool, though, doesn't it? Especially in 2004. Yeah, your body's an amusement park, bro, so enjoy the ride. It's like, yeah, Cool. Sounds great. The problem is it doesn't work. As Anthony Bourdain realized, if you try to treat your body like an amusement park, it is absolutely a recipe for disaster. You've got, we've got to stop living this way. This is, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. If I feel like doing it, if it's my body feels, like I'm just going to give my body whatever it feels like. Listen, your body, according to the Bible, is a temple. Paul says clearly in 1 Corinthians 6, your body is the temple of God, which means if you are a Christian, it is the place that God's spirit dwells. Your body matters to God. Your body matters. It is not simply a vehicle by which we travel through this life. It is the physical structure that houses the very presence of God. 
And Jesus is clear in John 2.17. It says that Jesus is passionate about the house of God. He's zealous for the temple of God, which means, according to the Apostle Paul, God is consumed with zeal when he thinks about your body. God is passionate about your body. He loves your body. He cares for your body. And therefore, because that is true, we need to care for what God cares about. We need to love what God loves, which means we need to love our bodies. We need to, therefore, in a lot of this message today, receive the gift of sleep that he wants to give to us at the beginning of each and every day. Ruth Haley Barton wrote a book entitled An Invitation to Solitude and Silence. I'm actually reading through it with our staff right now. And she says that every Christian needs to map themselves on, on kind of this chart where she calls, she says there's good tired and then there's dangerous tired. I said, good tired is whenever your head hits the pillow at night and you go to sleep. That's good tired. But then there's dangerous tired. Dangerous tired is different. Dangerous tired leads to the spiritual apathy. It's where you're so physically tired that you don't really have energy to spend day with Jesus. You just kind of veg out on a screen. You do this mindless stuff. Or here's what I've realized, by the way, guys. When I'm dangerous tired, you know what I do? I work harder. I don't stop. I just keep on going. And she says that when we do this slowly but surely, when we go through life dangerously tired, we just drift more and more towards destruction. Guys, this sermon today, I've never preached a sermon on sleep. Anybody in here ever heard a sermon on sleep before? Nobody. Me either. It's the first one I've ever heard. The second, because I preached it in the first service. I think this is a way bigger deal than we think it is. D.A. Carson says this. He says, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is to get a good night's sleep. All the nines in here said, amen, right? Nines on the Enneagram. Uh, That was a joke went over flat. Um, (laughs) Sorry to the nines in the Enneagram. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray at all, but give your body the sleep that it needs. My wife and I have been talking about this recently. Uh, I've been seeing a therapist on and off for since 2016. I also have a spiritual director. I think everybody needs both of those, by the way, if you can get them. Um, but my wife just started seeing a therapist two weeks ago. And after her first meeting, she came home and I said, well, how did it go? And she said, great. She told me that I need to get a 30-minute nap every day when I get home from work. <laughs> yeah, that was my expression, Philip. And uh, I was like, who's going to do the cooking? You know, like, that's, how much are we paying the therapist again? You know? Um, and so she's been getting 30-minute naps when she gets home. And last week after the prayer gathering on Sunday night, we went home. And we're sitting around at dinner table. The kids were in bed. And we're just kind of catching up on the day. And I was like, well, what did you think about the prayer meeting? She goes, I thought it was a little discouraging. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, it's like, well, what, what was discouraging about it? And she says, you know, you asked us to think about all the precious thoughts that God has about us. And she goes, in that moment, I couldn't think of any precious thought that God had towards me. And she goes, and I know that's not true, but that's just the way I felt in this moment. All I could think about was the negative stuff. And she said, um, you know, it just got me wondering and thinking about, I realized in that moment that I've not been walking as intimately and close with God as he desires. And so I thought about that passage in, in, in Revelation where Jesus says, if you've lost your first love, what does he say to do? Just go back and do what you were doing whenever you first fell in love with me. So I said, well, what was that? What were you doing whenever you first fell in love with Jesus? She was sort of following Christ when she was a teenager and she, so then she goes, and she started smiling and she said, oh, 
I was actually taking naps every single day. So I was 18 years old. Every day I came home from school, I would take a nap. Because that's the last, that's the very first time I remember just being so in love with Jesus. And there was a little bit of me that was kind of like, yeah, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Um, and then there was another part of me that was starting to already think about this sermon. And the more I studied, the more I realized, yeah, yeah, you really cannot separate the physical from the spiritual. And so with all that being said, listen, here's the invitation today. You ready for this? Here's the invitation. You probably never heard this before from a pastor. Here's the invitation to you or the challenge to you if you'd rather word challenge than invitation. Get some sleep. Get some rest. Go rest in God's love by receiving the gift of sleep. And to help us do that, to help us get there, here's what I want you to think about. I never thought about that until this week, about this until this week. Yes, God has given you the gift of sleep. But even greater, he's given you the gift of his son. And I want you to think about this as you take communion today. Jesus, the son of God, stayed up all night in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. And I don't think that was by accident. I think that was by design. I think that Jesus intentionally went to the cross, not only as a sinless human being, but as a sleepless human being. Because he wanted us to know that it was through his sacrifice that now he not only gives us the forgiveness of sins, but he gives us the true rest that we all need. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the promise today. Deep rest, full rest, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Jesus wants to give it all to you. And not just at night, but even in the biggest storms of life. With that, I'm going to invite our communion servers to go ahead and come forward. And I'm going to invite our, our praise band to come forward. They're going to lead us in a couple more songs, which is a great response to the, the message today. We always want to respond through receiving communion. We hear the word of God preached, and then we take in the word of God, right? This represents the, the word, represents the right Christ, and, and, and this communion represents Jesus. And so here's the way it works for us. Even if you're not a member of our church, you're welcome to this. Uh, we'll have bread up here. Uh, the communion service will tear off the bread, which represents the, the perfect life of Jesus who lived on your behalf. We'll dip it in this juice, which represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. We also have a, a self-serve option over here. Um, if you want to take those, it's a gluten-free option for you as well. Um, and again, if you are a Christian, even if you're not a member of this church, you're welcome to do this. If you are a member and also you want to respond through through worship through giving. Uh, it's a great way we worship God. It's a way that we don't try to earn his love, but we give in response to his love. And so there's four different ways you see you can give during that time. You can text, give online in person, or you can use your app. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, man, rather than receiving communion, receive Christ. And we'll have a prayer team back there in the back, uh, Trance back there. He'd love to pray for you. I'll be up here in the front. Maybe for some of you, it's like, you know, I had some come to me after the first service. I was like, man, I, I struggle with sleep. But like when I, when I stop, my mind doesn't stop. Would you just pray that God helps us to rest? And maybe that's for some of you. It's like, would you pray, man, that God would just give me some sleep tonight, give me some rest tonight? Maybe you're a parent with young kids, and you're just like trying to stay a Christian right now. It's like, you know, that should be your goal, right? Just try to stay saved, as Tim Keller says, when you have little ones. Like, it's hard for you to sleep, get rest. Maybe that's what you want prayer for today. Like, would you just help us to get some sleep, get some rest? Or maybe you just want to know, like, how do I begin my journey with Jesus? Like, how do I, you know, give my life to him? Whatever it is, talk with Trent, talk with me. Chris will be up here. We'd love to help serve you the best we can through prayer. Let's stand together.
Let me just pray over this time, and then when you're ready, take communion. We'll sing a couple more songs, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus, the sinless and sleepless one at the cross, who laid down his life for us so that we can find forgiveness, fulfillment, true rest that we all need for our weary souls. I pray that these people here today would be able to rest more fully in your love and that as a result, we would be a people who bear fruit that allow others to taste and see how good that you really are. It's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen.